Our Bible passage this morning can be found in the book of Ruth, chapter 2. You can find this in the uh, church Bibles on page 267. Page 267, Ruth, chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. She has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is a close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thank you so much, David. Please uh, keep that passage open, Ruth chapter 2, and uh, will you join me in praying as uh, God will speak to us from his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your living word, and we pray, Lord, that you will bring it alive to our hearts and lives this morning by your Holy Spirit. Please speak to us. Please reveal yourself to us. And please help each one of us to take refuge in you this morning. For the Lord Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, where do you run for refuge? Where do you flee for safety? After a stressful day, or when it feels like the world is against you, when you feel hurt or offended, under pressure at home, at work, in your studies, when you can't sleep, or in a crisis, health scare, bereavement, difficult marriage, housing problems, money worries, or when your country is at war, or you're being persecuted for your Christian faith, where do you turn in times of trouble? Where is a safe place in your life? Uh, there are many options, of course, and, and the nature of the refuge usually depends on the scale of the problem. Maybe as simple as putting on your headphones, going down the garden shed, if you have one of those, watching Netflix, a bit of retail therapy, going to the gym or for a run. But sometimes the place of apparent safety can be darker. An addiction to online gambling, gaming, drugs, alcohol, pornography, binge eating, self-harming. In difficult times, people can seek refuge in compulsive, damaging ways. Last week we saw in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi and her family are living in very difficult times, in the days when the judges ruled, days when, remember, everyone did as they saw fit. And in chapter 2, we get a hint of what it's like when everyone does as they see fit, even in the promised land. So Boaz, a wealthy farmer and employer, has to reassure Ruth, a vulnerable widow, verse 9, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Now, that is not what you expect to hear in the workplace, is it? Imagine going into work tomorrow and your boss says, look, don't panic. I've told your, your colleagues not to punch or kick you. You'd be a bit worried, wouldn't you? What's going on here? It may well be the reality for some of us here. Perhaps, I don't know, you have a colleague or a boss who is wanting to exploit you or harm you. 
Uh, notice that Naomi's, uh, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, shares this concern. She says to Ruth, verse 22, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, that is for Boaz, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So clearly, these are very dangerous days, even among God's people, where we might expect better. But wonderfully, Ruth chapter 2 teaches us that even in terrible times, there is a perfect place of refuge, as we've heard already this morning through Martin's testimony. A place where all are welcome. Whatever your nationality, race, background, education, sexual identity, whatever baggage you carry, there is a safe place to run to. A place of peace, provision, and protection. A place of forgiveness and of a fresh start. A place of unimaginable blessing and favor. And it's clear that Ruth has found this safe place. Look at what Boaz says to her again in the middle of verse 12. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful picture Boaz paints of a little chick or an eaglet perhaps sheltering under the protective wings of God. And we're going to look at this passage through the lens of verse 12, which I think is, is the key verse to help us understand the passage. So two main headings this morning. Seek refuge in the Lord and find favor from the Lord. First then, seek refuge in the Lord. Uh, whenever you see uh, the word Lord written in capital letters, it signifies the personal name of the God of Israel, the God who is always faithful to his promises. It's the name God reveals to Moses at the uh, non-burning bush in Exodus 3. I am who I am. So what kind of God is the Lord? What is he like? Why would you want to take refuge in him? Well, we learn from Ruth 2 that he graciously rescues his enemies. He graciously rescues his enemies. Ruth, remember, has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel, which is shocking when you consider Ruth's country of origin. Uh, did you notice three times in the reading, three times she's called a Moabite. She is Ruth the Moabite, verse 2. Verse 6, she is the Moabite, who for the avoidance of doubt came back from Moab. Uh, again, verse 21, she's Ruth the Moabite. It's always worth noting a little detail repeated in biblical storytelling. The author is teaching us something. Why then is this so shocking? Well, because as we learned last week, the Moabites were the sworn enemy of the God of Israel and his people. Moabites worshipped the false god Chemosh. Elsewhere, Chemosh is described as the abomination of Moab, a detestable god, not least because worshipping Chemosh could involve sacrificing your kids, your own kids, in the fire. Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says, No Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, so the fellowship of his people, not even to the tenth generation. And yet here we find Ruth the Moabite taking refuge in the Lord. More than that, Boaz an Israelite, in verse 1, a man of standing, which certainly means he was minted, a wealthy man. But it's more than that. In the original language, the sense is he's a worthy man of good character. And yet this godly man blesses Ruth the Moabite. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, verse 12. Is he out of his mind? 
Doesn't he know God's law? Well, yes, he does. But Boaz clearly recognizes that Ruth has been wonderfully converted. He's heard how the Lord has turned her life around. And the evidence that she knows God's grace and mercy is that she now shows that very same grace and mercy to God's people. Uh, Look with me at verse 11. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. And Ruth, remember, was a Moabite, God's enemy. Think of the person you would consider least likely to ever become a Christian. That person who just seems so far away. I I don't know, the murderer, the drug dealer, the child abuser, the jihadist, the LGBTQ activist, the prostitute, or perhaps that friend, family member, colleague, neighbor who is just so hostile to the gospel. But you see, we must never write anyone off because the Lord graciously rescues his enemies and brothers and sisters you and I every one of us were once enemies of God too excluded from fellowship with him all of us it's true for those of you who've enjoyed the privilege and great blessing of being brought up in a Christian home I hope you thank God for that And it's true for others of us who, like me, have come from a more obviously ungodly, worldly background. There is no difference because there is no one righteous, not even one. Paul writes to non-Jewish believers in Ephesus, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. To the Colossians, he writes, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, listen to this, holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The Lord graciously rescues his enemies. And then notice, he wisely rules over every circumstance. Uh, The book of Ruth is is governed and shaped by a certain belief about God. It's a belief that God is completely sovereign, meaning that he wisely controls and rules over and directs the affairs of this world and of our lives. Rules over every detail and every circumstance in the best of times and in the worst of times. And he is always at work for his glory and for the ultimate good of his people his creation and his creatures. The technical theological term for this is providence. As we saw last time, chapter one is certainly the worst of times. Famine, bereavement, weeping, emptiness. Now the dream scenario, of course, for two poor widows with no government help, no benefits, no big difference. The dream scenario would be if there were to be a rich relative. And so you notice chapter 2 opens with a comment from the narrator for our ears only. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing, from the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. And with that little bit of information left hanging in the background, the story continues. Uh, Ruth takes the initiative, you notice, in the search for food. Uh, Clearly this new believer already knows her Bible well. She knows from Leviticus 19 that God's people are not allowed to harvest their fields right up to the very edge, nor are they to gather all the crops left behind by the uh, ancient equivalent of a combine harvester. No, 
She knows that by going out to glean, she is able to get food. And she knows that that's, that's what God's law says, and so she exercises faith. That is, she takes God at his word and acts accordingly. And as it turned out, middle of verse 3, more literally, she chanced to chance. It just so happened she was working in a field that belonged to, would you believe it, Boaz, who, in case we've already forgotten, was from the clan of Elimelech, hint, hint, so a close relative. And verse 4, the original text says, behold, hey presto, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Some greeting too, isn't it? The Lord be with you. It's clearly an Anglican. <laughs> you almost expect them to reply, and also with you. But their reply is even better. The Lord bless you. Well, I wonder, is it like that where you work? It'd be great, wouldn't it, to have a believing boss, one who takes his faith to work, one who acts justly, loves mercy, walks humbly with God. I might try it out this coming Wednesday at Staff Press, see if I get the response. Now, can you see the narrator wants us to be thinking as we read? Well, what are the chances? In a desperate attempt to get food, Ruth gleans for leftover grain. And of all the fields, in all the farms, in all of Bethlehem, she just happens to walk into one belonging to Boaz. Boaz, who, who remember in days when everyone was doing as they saw fit, he just happens to be a godly man. So he takes seriously God's law about gleaning. And as chance would have it, Boaz turns up to greet his employees, would you believe, on that very farm, in that exact field at that precise time. Well, what, are the ch- what a coincidence. The point being, of course, with the Lord who providentially rules over every circumstance, there are no coincidences. Do you know that nothing ever happens to you or to me by chance? There's no such thing as chance, not in a world governed by the Lord. Even national lottery winners are not random. The old ad used to tell you it could be you, but Proverbs 16 verse 33 says it's every decision is from the Lord. Oh yes, God's ways are often hidden from me, of course, as they were hidden from Naomi and Ruth in dark days. And at times the Lord may lead me through really deep waters and very tough circumstances. And I won't always understand what he's doing. But Ruth chapter 2 teaches me that he is in control of everything. He is somehow working out his purposes for his glory and for my ultimate good. So can I say to anyone here this morning who feels they're in a rather dark place, facing bitter circumstances, Please take refuge in him. Make him your safe place. You will not be disappointed. You may just be wondering this morning what the future holds out for you. Unsure perhaps about career choices or what to study. Maybe awaiting a decision over indefinite leave to remain or struggling with loneliness as a single person or as a divorced or widowed person. Anxious about provision for your old age. Worried perhaps about a hospital appointment or upcoming exams. Well, can I encourage you this morning, take your anxieties and turn them into prayers to the Lord. The one who wisely rules over every circumstance and every authority, 
and is able to provide for every single need. Because says Jesus, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to their span of life? And if you recognize this morning that you're not yet a believer, well, this God longs to be your refuge too, to gather you under his wings and become your safe place. Oh, you may feel that you don't need him, but a day is coming when you will need him. If not in this world, most certainly in the next. But by then, it will be too late. Today is the day to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. Well, all those who do take refuge in the Lord will secondly find favor from the Lord. It would be very easy to misunderstand what Boaz says in verse 12, to think that he's asking the Lord to repay Ruth because she's shown kindness to her mother-in-law. So she's done a good deed, now she's due a reward. That tends to be the human default position, doesn't it, when it comes to thinking about God. God rewards people who deserve it. But Ruth chapter 2 cuts right across that way of thinking, as does the rest of the Bible. Now, the narrator wants us to see that it's because Ruth has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord, who graciously rescues his enemies, because she has exercised faith and is trusting in him. That is the reason the Lord will richly reward her. If you want it in New Testament terms, it is by grace she has been saved through faith, And even her faith is not of herself. It is the gift of God. And so in our remaining time, I want to draw your attention to two aspects of the Lord's favor from Ruth chapter 2. First, he richly provides for our greatest need. Uh, Ruth very clearly understands the concept of grace. She knows that she is undeserving of receiving anything. And even as she asks Naomi's permission to go out and glean, she doesn't have any sense of entitlement, you notice. No, she says verse 2, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, in the original language, favor comes from a beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. It doesn't have a direct English equivalent, but it means something like undeserved kindness, mercy, and unfailing love. It's the love that God has for his people. Now, Boaz is under an obligation to provide for Naomi and her family because, as Naomi explains, if you notice in verse 20, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, that is a legal term for a person who, under God's law, was required to help out a relative in financial difficulties. Uh, If you're interested in the background, you can do some homework by reading Leviticus 25, verses 25 to 55. And I can see that you're really eager to do that. Let's move on. But I want you to notice the favor that Boaz shows to Ruth goes way beyond any sense of legal duty. No doubt that's partly because he's clearly attracted to it. You notice his question to the farm supervisor in verse 5, who does that young woman belong to? Uh, Don't be alarmed by the language there. Even in that culture, this is not about possession. It's about protection and provision. Who is taking care of that woman and looking out for her? It's rather like we might say today, is she taken. Uh, This incidentally for any husbands here or would-be husbands is a reminder of the huge responsibility involved. Husbands, writes Paul to the Ephesians, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for what a calling. How does Christ love the church? In a word, sacrificially. Not dominating and controlling us but giving himself up for us. Pouring out his life for our well-being. 
And that is exactly what godly Boaz starts to do for Ruth. Even though at this point, marrying her would have been nothing more than a dream. But he goes way above and beyond what the law requires. You see, Ruth is only asked to glean the leftover grain. But notice verse 9, Boaz provides her with cans from the cool box. Whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now again, Ruth doesn't see this as a divine right. Now she shows great humility. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Again, verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes. Now I don't have the standing of one of your servants. If you're a believer this morning, I wonder, is that your response to God's undeserved kindness, mercy, and unfailing love towards you? Are you ever overwhelmed by God's grace? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we, even we, should be called children of God. We live in an entitlement culture, don't we? It's all about me. Everyone demands their rights. The trouble is that kind of attitude can so easily infiltrate the church. And we need to guard against that. Because a sense of entitlement is the very opposite of humility. Imagine if Jesus had insisted on his right to be respected and revered as the Son of God who came down from heaven. There would have been no cross. But praise God, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz says to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. That apparently was a, a, a luxurious delicacy of the day. Does sound a bit like Weetabix to me, though, but uh, there we go. We, well, I'll trust the commentators. But the point here is wealthy Boaz is generous. He's sharing the best of the crop with Ruth. Think Sainsbury's taste the difference. Tesco finest. Aldi specially selected. I won't go through all the supermarkets. I'm just trying to be inclusive, okay? And after mealtime, when she goes to glean again, we get this almost comical scene. In verses 15 and 16. Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves. So these are the gathered barley. And don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. I mean, this is like an ancient version of a supermarket trolley dash. And no wonder when she weighs up all the barley, verse 17, it amounted to about an ephah. Uh, no one's entirely sure how much that is, but you may have a footnote in your Bible saying probably about 13 kilos, about half the weight of a huge sack of potatoes from the farm shop or a few bags of groceries. Now, Boaz, remember, was obliged to provide for Ruth as her guardian redeemer. But you see how he's going way beyond the requirements of the law, lavishing one good gift after another on her. Now contrast that to the Lord, who owes you and me absolutely nothing. The Lord whose law not one of us has ever or could ever possibly keep perfectly, and which therefore condemns us all to eternal judgment. And yet amazingly, we are told, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
Now that is an extravagant and lavish provision for the greatest need of every man and woman, every teenager, every child. The Lord owes us nothing but gives us everything. What amazing grace. And then notice finally and briefly that he fully satisfies our deepest longings. Uh, The dominant note in Ruth chapter 1 is emptiness and bitterness. But in Ruth chapter 2, the picture is one of fullness and joyful satisfaction. And I want you to see how the narrator stresses this for us. So look at the end of verse 14. Ruth ate all she wanted and had some left over. When she heads back to town with her 13 kilos of barley, verse 18, her mother-in-law saw, notice, how much she had gathered. Uh, Ruth then pulls out this luxurious doggy bag and gives Naomi what she had left over after she had eaten enough. And as if that day's generous provision from Bowers isn't enough, Ruth tells Naomi, verse 21, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain." Now, as Christians, we read Ruth, remember, through New Testament glasses. Are you hearing any echoes? John's Gospel, perhaps? Feeding of the 5,000? See, there we're told Jesus, our guardian redeemer, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And after they all had enough to eat, the disciples gathered and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who did. Ever wonder why Jesus didn't get the calculation exactly right? Because he's a generous God. Note the lavish provision, the fullness, the satisfaction. But when the crowds followed Jesus because they'd eaten the loaves and had their fill, he warns them, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And still today, that is the promise. For anyone who, like Ruth, will take refuge in the Lord. He is the only truly safe place to run to. Because he alone can provide for our greatest need, the forgiveness of sins, protection from God's eternal judgment. And he's the only fully satisfying place to run to because he alone can fulfill our very deepest desires and longings. Although as this chapter ends, we get a clear hint, great storytelling, that the best is yet to be for the believer, that the real fullness is still to come. Because notice for now, end of verse 23, Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. It's not a call for mother-in-law jokes. No, it's saying that she's not yet at rest in the home of her guardian redeemer. And in the same way, although Christians are citizens of heaven, for now we live here on earth. Church awaits the return of Jesus as the bridegroom and the great wedding supper of the Lamb when we will be eternally satisfied as we finally rest in the home of our redeemer. So will you take refuge in him this week? Will you stay close to him in good times and tough times? Because you see, if you wander from the truth, well, verse 22, in someone else's field, you might be harmed. May the Lord Jesus help us to take refuge under his wings, to remain in him and his words in us, because there we will be richly rewarded. 
in this world only in part, but in the world to come. All who are found in Christ will be filled with joy in his presence and with eternal pleasures at his right hand.